Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Sitting with me today is The Rock's hairstylist, Blaze Cookering. What's the most stressful part of your job, Blaze? Well, first, I'd like to say thank you very much for having me on. It's a, it's a very trying time being The Rock's hairstylist. Um, and actually, he goes by Dwayne mm. The Rock Johnson mm-hmm. or Rock The Dwayne Johnson. Sure. Yeah, in the small circle. But the hardest part is honestly uh, getting rid of those um, difficult little hair follicles that just don't want to get clipped. You know, you have to go over that little That bald same bald head. spot. Yeah, bald spot. Spart. Yeah, hashtag bald, bald spart. Yeah. It's this is tough kind of getting those tiny, teeny little hair follicles on that big man's big head. <laughs> So, thanks for asking. No one ever asks me questions. They always ask Dwayne the questions. Yeah, well, you know, that's why you're with me today. A day in the life. (laughs) So, historians, I know we just had a break in our regularly scheduled programming during Thanksgiving, but we are going to be taking off the week of Christmas and the week of New Year's, but we will be right back after. Um, So, like, forgive us, but, you know. Where are we going? Time. Nowhere. We're just not doing episodes. We're still going to be here? Yes. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm going places. Well, also, me too, because I'm a hairstylist. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm going to be here, but also I'm going to travel. It's it's a... It's a multiverse issue. Don't worry about it. There it is. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for the tastiest of herstory lessons today? Mmm, I'm already hungry, he said. Oh, we should get you some acting lessons for Christmas. Ouch, he said. (laughs) That burns. It did. We are going to be heading south to New Orleans, Louisiana, to talk about the queen of Creole cuisine and the inspiration for Disney's Princess Tiana from The Princess and the Frog, Leah Chase. Home of the Bourbon Street. Why? Mardi Gras. Why'd you say it like that? It's just a so. Oh. <laughs> Quote. She is of a generation of African-American women who set their faces against the wind without looking back. It's a work ethic, yes, but it's also seeing how you want things to be done and then being relentless about getting there. It's about making sure it gets done and making sure that your hand is doing its part. The author and expert on food of African diaspora, Jessica B. Harris, said that about Leah Chase. Leah Chase was known as the nation's preeminent Creole chef. Reverend Martin Luther King Sr. favored the barbecue ribs. James Baldwin loved the gumbo. Sarah Vaughn was partial to the stuffed crab. And Nat King Cole was simple with a four-minute egg. She chastised President Obama for almost ruining her gumbo by putting hot sauce in it, (laughs) which is a cardinal culinary sin. Leah had a calling to feed people, wrote cookbooks, TV shows, and so much more. She was intellectually curious, religious, and a charismatic central cultural figure in New Orleans' political and civil rights movements. Before we get into Leah's legacy... Before we get into Leah's legacy, I want to talk first a bit about the history of the word Creole and a bit about the differences around Cajun and Creole culture and cuisine, as they are often used interchangeably, which is simply a travesty. 
according to my research. Uh, please enlighten the listeners and I about this. Um. <laughs> so let's start simply with the word creole. It is derived from criollo, a variation of the Spanish verb criar, meaning to raise or to bring up. The word originally referred to the new world-born offspring of old world-born parents. It didn't matter where the parents came from or who the offspring were. It was the na- it was the nativity, the idea of being from here. Born and raised in the colonies, that's what made people creole. New Orleans was established in 1718 by French-Canadian Jean-Baptiste Le Moyne, Sieur de Bienville, right on the Muscogan tribal portage at the crescent on the Mississippi River. Word has it that if it were not for the kindness of the indigenous people, the French would have starved. The indigenous population were experts on living off the land. They cultivated corn to make breads. They were able to utilize the local squash and they dried beans. Even making syrups from persimmons and choke cherries were used as flavoring for smoked meats. And they thickened stews with powdered sassafras, known as filet, today. The founders of New Orleans gave way to the locally born children who became the first Creole generation. Children of the first Africans in Louisiana were brought to New Orleans in slavery. They were known as Black Creoles or Creole slaves. At this time, Creole wasn't a racial slur. It was a pan-racial, place-based ethnicity. Creole was also used frequently as an adjective. Creole cooking, local cuisine. Creole tomatoes, locally grown. Creole architecture local building styles, and construction techniques. During the 1700s, most in New Orleans were Creole, though none felt the need to specifically identify as such. This all changed with the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. The English-speaking Anglo-Americans arrived, and with them came an influx of foreign immigrants. The locals felt threatened and rallied around their shared bond of nativity. Creole. Then come the tense negotiations between the French-speaking Creoles and the English-speaking Anglo-Americans. They each did essentially everything different. Creoles lived in the French Quarter, Faubourg Mirny, sorry about pronunciations guys, and Faubourg Trem, known for their Creole of color populations or Jean de Couleur Libre, the free people of color. The Anglo-Americans lived in Faubourg St. Mary, which is today's Central Garden District. Interestingly, both sides had large immigrant populations that settled with them, mostly Irish and Germans, who worked with each side to establish alliances in rivalry with each other. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I love that within the two, like, main... Um, let's say like factions there are sure. like subdivisions of mm-hmm. those factions that are like help at like that are um actively living and working amongst them uh-huh. you know and it's just this kind of it like a lot it sounds like <laughs> it was more of a it was as much of a melting pot as new york city was slash is right with all the different cultures kind of melding together to create mm-hmm. one Yummy gumbo of food. (laughs) Well, dividing each side was Canal Street. 
And many joked that the median was neutral ground. <laughs> <laughs> By the late 1800s, assimilation had won out, though. The folk ways of the ancient population had all but faded away by the 1900s. Our understanding of Creole has varied over the past century alone. White revisionist historians have insisted that Creoles were of pure French or Spanish ancestry. False. Boo. I feel like Dwight. False. Bad take. Some have believed that in order to be Creole, you had to be of mixed heritage. Also false. Others confuse Creoles with Cajuns. Now, Cajuns descended from French-Canadian refugees that were exiled by the British from Nova Scotia starting in the late 1750s. So they came later than those in Creole. Spare a thought for all of the cold Nova Scotians who made <laughs> their way down to the Gulf. Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> that trek? Yeah, they were like, we don't want to be here. Oh my goodness. Anymore. Yeah, and they were like, what happened to our accent? We've lost. <laughs> the Cajuns settled in rural south central Louisiana, just west of New Orleans, and they have a more rural culture than the urban Creoles. Joel Cavaness said this of his Cajun heritage quote, We grew up in the bayou, eating only what we could grow catch or shoot and cook in one big pot we ate what was in season which could mean that we ate crawfish daily for weeks the great variety and spice in our diet came from combining various peppers from the garden with some onions garlic and bell peppers to create bisque etouffee court bouillon sauce picante jambalaya gumbo or just simple well-seasoned boiled crawfish shrimp and crabs Creole cuisine typically uses tomatoes and tomato-based sauces. Cajun doesn't. Bethany Ewald Boltman said, quote, Creole and Cajun cuisine did not develop in a linear way from French gastronomy to the same extent that American cooking derived from the English and European cooking styles of the 17th and 18th centuries. Louisiana cuisine, whatever it might be called, is the literal melting pot of America. In a pot of gumbo served today in a traditional New Orleans home, there is a French roux, African okra, Indian filet, Spanish peppers, Cajun sausage, and oysters supplied by a Yugoslav fisherman, all served over Chinese rice with an accompaniment of hot French bread made by one of the city's finest German bakers. I'm salivating at the mouth. <laughs> I know. If I could eat this food. <laughs> All right. Man. Incredible. Ooh, we have to we, go to... Oh, we need I'm, to go. I'm excited to see how the story kind of tier, um, you know, goes back to... To Leah. Yes. But um, right right now, I'm, I'm very much liking everything you've established in front of us. This, um, <laughs> this amuse-bouche, if you will. <laughs> When it comes to Creole cuisine and how it has evolved over time, based on my research, it looks like every single war influenced the cuisine based on who was participating. <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite interesting. I won't get into all of that. But... Next, next season four. <laughs> Watch out. There's even a major Asian influence in the cuisine. Consider the fact that a rice farmer from Canton perfected the method for drying shrimp in Louisiana in 1867, making it possible to have shrimp all year round. 
I, I, I don't that even incredible? know where to begin. I almost, <laughs> I'm almost a little weepy at the thought. That sounds beautiful. Today, usually someone who self-identifies as Creole in New Orleans is of mixed, an- uh, mixed racial ancestry, has deep local roots, and their family members are Catholic with French-sounding surnames. Most are Franco-African Americans, and many black Creoles live in and near the Seventh Ward. While some of the cultural traits continue to thrive through food, words, and phrases, and Mardi Gras, the French language seemed to have disappeared. Older New Orleans, white or black, do recall some of their elders speaking French well into the 20th century, which I thought was interesting. Quote, food builds bridges. If you can eat with someone, you can learn from them. And when you learn from someone, you can make big changes. We change the course of America in this restaurant over bowls of gumbo. We can talk to each other and relate to each other when we eat together. Leah Chase was born in a small town on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain called Madisonville, Louisiana, on January 6, 1923. She was the second oldest of 13 children, though some of my sources differed this uh, uh, differed in this figure, but this was the most frequently referenced, so take it with a grain of salt. Her father, Charles Lang, was a ship's caulker, and her mother, Hortensia Lang, was a homemaker and seamstress. Leah's parents valued hard work and education. No elbows on the table was non-negotiable. They taught the children how to read with books that their dad was able to salvage from the trash heaps at a nearby school for white children. In her hometown, there were no schools for African Americans past the sixth grade. So she was sent to live with her aunt in New Orleans in order to complete her education, attending St. Mary's Academy, a Roman Catholic high school for black girls. Quote, When I wake up in the morning, I don't ask God what I want anymore. I tell him. I say, I want to go out and work. Then I go home at the end of the day and I say, thank you, God. Leah was exceptionally smart. At an early age, she memorized the Latin mass and graduated from high school at age 16. (laughs) So she was destined for big things from the start, and it definitely had a lot to do with her very hardworking parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure they struggled a bunch, and then Mm -hmm. their parents, you know, struggled just as much, but it's, it's good that they're that future generations are able to kind of help pave the way for mm-hmm. their children mm-hmm. and children's children and Absolutely. so Absolutely. After graduating, Leah returned home for a few years, but then went back to New Orleans for good at age 18, when she took a job in a French Quarter restaurant. It was the first restaurant she'd ever been in. Here, she discovered a love of food beyond home cooking. Leah had initially planned on working at a sewing factory, later saying that it was a, quote, good job for Creole girls like me. Everything changed in 1941. World War II said, you thought this was the plan, but we're doing this now. Men were being called up for the military. Women, regardless of race, were now getting jobs that had previously not been available. Quote, I just saw how wonderful the restaurant business was. How you could sit down and enjoy a meal and have someone serve you. Oh, I thought that was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. My, have we strayed from this perspective as patrons at a restaurant, haven't we, people? Let's be nicer to servers and 
Restaurant chairs. Just the, yeah, yeah, restaurant staff. <laughs> she sounds like someone who doesn't take things for granted. Mm-mm. And it's very, like you just said, it's very sad to see how far along we've come in terms of people just writing the meanest things on the check because they don't want to tip or because they are mad at the world and mm-hmm. they hate themselves. And they just take it out on other people. I don't people. really understand that kind of energy, but, you mm-hmm. know, uh, yeah. what are you going to do except mm-hmm. yell at those people as soon as you <laughs> see them and berate them. Absolutely. Point at them and call out their flaws. Don't do that. <laughs> Leah had numerous jobs from working as a bookie to managing some local boxers. <laughs> But the restaurant business is a cruel mistress. If you're bit by the hospitality bug, there is no escaping. Quote, I tell people all the time, you have to be in love with that pot. You have to put all your love in that pot. If you're in a hurry, just eat your sandwich and go. Don't even start cooking because you can't do anything well in a hurry. I love food. I love serving people. I love satisfying people. Ugh. I love her. What's that show on Netflix, that that uh, competition, that chef competition show? Chef's Table. I No, Final Table. That's the one. Final Table. Oof, Guys, but, everybody go watch that. But, you know, it's shows like that, and um, I guess Top Chef too, where it's just like, I would have loved to have seen her um, mm. in <laughs> that kind of TV series. And I'm sure there are very strong, um, capable women who are on this that mm-hmm. I, just, I just haven't personally seen, but... Um, specifically for her, I would have loved to have like seen the scenes of like, like, yeah, they're like, they introduce her in the show and then Mm. they do the flashback of like, when I was young, you know, (laughs) and then it's just like this tumultuous like life that she lived where she struggled and she, you know, crawled her way to the top and she made it. I love those stories of perseverance. Yeah. Any story of perseverance. Leah met Edgar Chase Jr. in 1945. He was a jazz trumpeter and band leader known as Dookie. Three months after they met, they were married in early 1946. The two had four children together, and he lived a long life and passed in 2016 at the age of 88. So okay. they are together the whole time. Oh, so well, that's really sweet. Didn't want to leave you hanging there. No, yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad you just said it right out the gate. And you're like, no, he died like five years ago, and they lived happily ever after. Yeah, like, and back to Leah. Yeah. <laughs> In the early years of their marriage, his parents ran a sandwich shop and lottery business in New Orleans in the Trem. It opened in 1941, was a tavern built in a double shotgun, and was bankrolled by a $600 loan from a local brewery. It's in one of America's oldest African-American neighborhoods. When the children were old enough, Leah started working with her husband in the restaurant. Quote, if I can cook as good as your grandmother, I have done well. Pushing him and his parents to expand the business to be more like the finer restaurants she had worked at in the French Quarter. Quote, African Americans didn't have restaurants like that to go to. When I came here, I said, we've got to change things. Growing up, mother always kept nice things for company, nice glasses, nice things. That's how we look at it here. Everybody who comes through that front door is my company. People deserve that. That's, I can almost even see her in it, um, in my rendition. I don't know why I'm getting emotional about it. I'm getting a little hungry (laughs) in the best way, though. I'm hungry for food, but I'm hungry for the satisfaction of her her having lived a good Mm -hmm. life in the capacity that she did. Mm -hmm. 
Keep in mind the time period we're in here. Jim Crow laws are in full effect. Dookie Chase's became the only upscale restaurant where African Americans could gather. Quote, you have to explain to little children why, and you also have to listen to them, and believe me, they will reason with you. They're unbelievable. So you can learn from everyone at any age. Life is about listening, learning, and never giving up. As long as you're here on Earth, you're here for a purpose, and it's not about you. It's about what you can do to better the world you live in. And that's why I'm here, to help someone else up. I can't with her. That's (laughs) so beautiful and inspirational. And I need to remember that like daily. I know. Lolis Eric Ellie, an author and filmmaker, said the following. Quote, in these desegregated times, it's hard to imagine what it meant for Leah Chase to try to create a fancy restaurant for black people. Even in the days when my parents were courting, black people had Little League championship teams and college graduations and date nights with special people. Dookie Chase's was the place you went to for those special occasions at the time when Galatoire's and Antoine's didn't serve, quote, colored. I can only imagine how hip, or maybe not even hip, I don't want to say hip. Poppin'. I'm, I can only imagine how much fun um, Dookie Chase's was. Oh, we're about to get like, into I'm it. I'm sure everyone looked so nice, too, in their outfits, just, like, happy to be amongst mm-hmm. uh, other people of similar creeds. And, yes. You know. Uh, and have an understanding. And there's an extra better part that we'll get to in a second. Extra better. Yes. Dr. Norman Francis, the president of Xavier University from 1968 to 2015, and the first black student admitted to Loyola. Loyola? Yeah, that's another one I hate saying. Cool. Loyola University's law school said, quote, There was the pain of not being able to walk through the front door of a restaurant or a hotel, which was, of course, insulting to the human persona. But Leah kept the bright light on for all of us. When you couldn't go to some places, you could always go to Dookie Chase, and the food was better there anyway. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I'm sure there was way more flavor there than, like, in, yeah. in like, a so, like, no. <laughs> no. The food was just banging, I'm sure. Dookie Chase was obviously the place to be, even becoming a gathering place for civil rights leaders to discuss strategy with their white allies. It was illegal for black and white people to mingle amongst one another, which is freaking wild to me quote i've had groups here that i don't agree with but i still invited them in as long as they followed my rules you can still talk to people even if you disagree with them and you can listen to them when you spend time with each other maybe you see something different leah always downplayed her role in the history that was being made under her roof saying she's simply the chef and restaurateur quote i was just feeding people They were fighting for something, and they didn't know what they would find when they went out there. They didn't know what would happen to them on the streets, but when they were here, they knew I'd feed them. That's what I could do for them. Her humbleness is the ultimate boss move. (laughs) Oh my god. It's just like, yeah, you know, I mean, I fed people, like, yeah, and, you know, they felt comfortable at my place, but, like, I mean, it's not really my place, right? Like, I just take care of people, you know what I mean? She's just like, like, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, I just make the world a better place, but, like, please, me? (laughs) What? This is crazy. It's all happening so fast. What? 
Dookie <laughs> Chase has played host to meetings of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Red Freedom Fighters and Thurgood Marshall popped in to use her phone to call Robert F. Kennedy. Oh, snap. Even though Leah was super busy receiving lunch orders, she was like, I mean, yeah, you can use the phone. It's, just, it, like, it's be right quick. there. Uh, Thurgood, just please. She's I, like, please you know, be quick. Don't waste We've my minutes. We've got calls coming don't, in. <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you. Please hang, hang the... Put the phone on the... Thank you. Put the... <laughs> God. <laughs> Quote, I'm not a leader. I'm a good follower. And I can help uplift a good leader. The truth is not everybody can be a leader. But if your job is to help that leader, you'll go up with her. You'll go up with him. You treat people right and you try to make a difference. And when you work together, everyone will benefit. Uh, that just seems difficult. I don't know. I, I'm so confused by all of this. In an interview with the American Public Media's radio program, The Splendid Table, she said, quote, We were trying to be accepted without hurting anybody. In the 60s, here come these young people. Bam. They would just go in there and break the door down. They were going to take chances, go to jail if they had to. We couldn't understand that, but it worked. A lot of mistakes were made, but sometimes that's what it takes to change a system. Yeah, counterculture revolution. Do Ray, your thing. <laughs> Ray Charles rewrote the lyrics to Early in the Morning Blue, or Early in the Morning Blues in tribute to the restaurant. Wow. It says, quote, I went to Dookie Chase to get me something to eat. The waitress looked at me and said, Ray, you sure look beat. Oh. I wow. When, that's how you know you've made it. Oh. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Rudy Lombard, a civil rights activist who staged one of the city's first sit-ins at a Canal Street lunch counter said, quote, If you're looking for a place that advanced integration and racial understanding, nothing stands out for me more than that restaurant and that lady. It was the only place where people knew blacks and whites could get together in a civil rights context without being hassled. The police knew what was going on. They were following us, but nothing ever happened to us there. Leah and the restaurant did receive threatening letters. Someone even hurled a pipe bomb at the restaurant. It damaged the building, but fortunately, no blood was shed. Quote, I just think that God pitches us a low, slow curve, but he doesn't want us to strike out. I think everything he throws at you is testing your strength, and you don't cry about it, and you go on. She uh, she loved baseball, and obviously God, her, her religion was very special to her. I just love that she's, like, making this, like, religious baseball metaphor. I think it's great. Uh, I don't even know Live if I can hit a low curve ball. <laughs> I, I don't would think probably, anybody I would, can. Especially, I'm sure, it, I'm sure at least it was on the inside. <laughs> no, you know, it was probably a low curve ball hanging on the outside so she can just eventually knock it out the park. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. In the 1980s, the area fell on difficult economic times. During this time, the 896-unit public housing project across the street became more and more violent. Everyone told her it was time to move. Instead, Leah insisted that they renovate. Quote, if we would have moved off this corner, this whole community would have been gone a long time ago. Running away from it isn't going to help anything or anybody. I say like this. If you can't take a risk, you're wasting God's good time on earth. <laughs> Leah was a traditional woman. She supported Tipper Gore's campaign in the 80s and 90s against explicit and violent rock and rap lyrics. 
also demanding young people dress properly when they came into her restaurant. Well, Miss Ma'am. Quote, you worry too much about what goes into your mouth and not enough about what comes out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm obsessed with her. She's got zingers all day. Uh, I wouldn't want to get (laughs) reprimanded by her. Leah said this about the chef's culture among other chefs and restaurateurs in New Orleans. Quote, that's one thing you'll find in New Orleans that you may not find anywhere else. That chefs kind of work together. They work with you. They, if you ask them, I mean, if you go to Emerald Legacy's and you say, well, where can I get this? He'll say, well, you go to Leah for that. Or I'll tell you, you go to Paul Prudhomme for that. Like, people come in here, can you blacken me some fish? No, I'm not blackening anything. I'm the only black thing in my kitchen. I'm not doing any blackened fish. That's not what I'm all about. Paul does that. That's his thing. You go to Paul to get that. Oh, my God. That's so fierce. Why did she do it to him like that? She's like, I don't do that. You go to him for that. Blackening. But I like that idea, though, right? Where they're like, they all have their own, like, really deep specialties. And, you know, you go to her for the gumbo and the, you know, that stuff. And she's like, I'm not, no, no. (laughs) Genius. One day, Leah's husband gave her a painting by the late African-American artist Jacob Lawrence. With this, her love of collecting art was cemented. The walls of the restaurant were filled with pieces from artists like Elizabeth Catlett and John T. Biggers, among many others. Many have considered it to be Louisiana's best collection of African-American art. Quote, I didn't know anything about collecting art as an investment. Some of the artists, they'd just send me pieces. Sometimes we'd swap them for gumbo. Artists are always hungry and I fed them when they needed it and they took care of me. I, I love the community she was able to establish. Oh, my gosh. Um, between hardworking people and her. Yes. Um, yes. Leah won countless awards for her civil rights work and cooking, but she said the proudest work she did was promoting art. She was 54 when she went to her first art museum. Quote, museums were segregated and you didn't go there, so we knew nothing. That's so painful. Doesn't that? That, that really sucks. Make your heart hurt. <laughs> um, that makes me kind of angry. It's awful. At those who promoted segregation. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Her tour guide on the trip was Celestine Cook, a New Orleans socialite and civic leader, and the first African-American to sit on the board of the New Orleans Museum of Art, of which Leah joined in 1972. Quote, we have to pay attention to one another, regardless of how someone may look or act. Look again. Looking at people is like looking at art. I may look at a painting and dislike it because I don't understand it. But then I look deeper and I'll see things better. Everyone, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's... I want, we need to think, make something that says like, be more like Leah Chase just to everyone. Like, honestly, I'm going to try to exude. The world would be a better place. Yeah. A portrait of Leah chopping a squash in her kitchen, done by Gustave Blanche III, is hanging in the National Portrait Gallery. Her chef's jacket and other artifacts from her kitchen are on display in the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., which Time I took out. a picture of. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, we're definitely posting that. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's incredible. I was going to say, I wonder if I got those pics. You got them? Mm-hmm. I got that oh. one. She's at, at. That's actually why I. That that. How you found yes. out about her? Yes, oh, was at the museum. Man. I, I love took that. a bunch of pictures and I was like, "Oh my god!" I kept reading the plaques. Everybody, go to that museum. It's really incredible. Yeah, great museum. Leah often said she would be mean as a rattlesnake without art. In a speech to the Congressional Committee in 1995, in an effort to save funding for the National Endowment for the Arts, she said, quote, Art softens people up and warms them up to deal with each other in humane ways. It's so true. And now I know we're jumping all around with our timeline here. Sorry, but that's kind of how my research and writing led me. So, in a really tragic turn of events, Leah's eldest daughter, Emily, her right hand at the restaurant, died giving birth to her eighth child in 1990. The child died soon after. The day after her daughter's death, Leah was supposed to open the restaurant at 11 a.m., and she did. Wow. Quote, I lost myself in the pots. I had more tears in the gumbo pot than I had gumbo. Ugh. Heartbreaking. But that just kind of shows that how much she loved cooking, that it was a release for her to Mm -hmm. be there. It wasn't a, oh my God, I have to go to the restaurant. She's like, no, I'll be there. She loved it. She was dedicated. Be there. Mm -hmm. She gave her, she she was giving her life to it. She put her heart and soul. When the levees broke during Hurricane Katrina in 2005, floodwater filled the floor of the restaurant. Oh, no. But it didn't touch the art. One of her grandsons was able to retrieve the works undamaged. For 18 months, Leah and her husband lived in a government trailer right next to the restaurant while they struggled to repair it. 2007 rolled around, and they were able to open the doors again. That's... That is a beautiful um, turnaround. I, I I feel so bad that they, you know, Had the damage that. that they incurred in yeah. the restaurant. I'm glad they were able to save the art. It's really a shame that, you know, um, no, it, it, I'm just, I'm overall yeah. just happy that they were able to open <laughs> up after. That's what's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. In April of 2019... Those around her noticed her health beginning to fail. Leah didn't show up for the annual Holy Thursday lunch. She always served gumbo zerbs, a special dish requiring nine different kinds of greens. Seats for the event are booked a year in advance and 700 people share the meal. I know. His eyes are really wide, guys. (laughs) Each year, Chef John Fulce would make the gumbo under close supervision <laughs> from Leah. She had been working a few days before Holy Thursday and ended up having to be hospitalized. Chef John Fulce said, quote, She always said you have to do something every day for somebody else. She told me she tried to never say no. That's what the school of Leah Chase was all about. You just never say no, and you keep going. Leah Chase died at the age of 96 on June 1st, 2019, 
and she is survived by daughters Stella and Leah Chase Kamada, son Edgar III, 16 grandchildren, and 28 grandchildren. Whoa. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're going to keep that lineage alive and strong. Oh, absolutely. I, I hope. Yes. I, I imagine yes. that's what you're it's, going to... Yeah, it's still, it's still being run. It's kind of crazy that she was working literally days up, leading up to it. Former city councilman Arnie Fielko said... Quote, New Orleans and the entire world have lost one of the nicest, most genuine, most caring, and most inspiring people ever. <laughs> if that place, if that restaurant isn't a landmark, oh, it, um, I, we're, I'm going to have to... I think it is, actually. I'm going to have to make a personal trip down there and knock on someone's door and ask, why? <laughs> <laughs> what are you waiting for? What are you doing? <laughs> and they're like, sir, it's 6 a.m. Sorry, I drove here. <laughs> Just need answers. Among other accolades and rewards, Leah received the 2016 James Beard Lifetime Achievement Award, Candace Award, Freedom Foundation Award, NAACP Human Understanding and AP, Trudeau Awards, Weiss Award from the National Conference of Christians and Jews, and the Lafcadio Hearn Hall of Honor at Nicole State University's John Fulce Culinary Institute. And I'm going to leave you guys with this quote. Quote. <laughs> it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I have accomplished something, like I have performed service to someone. When people come back and tell me they remember something I told them, that makes me so happy. I stuck with them in some way. I love her. What a lasting impression that she oh. had on um, the clientele that came to the restaurant, the people that sent her art. America. Future generations <laughs> of Americans. Yeah, and international uh people that you know yeah. got the opportunity to go um, and not even just that like like the conversations that were had in that restaurant changed america literally it's it's very it's a very important um piece of history culinarily and just historically mm -hmm. um overall like you just mentioned mm -hmm. uh i think it can't be understated or, or is it overstated? It can't be overstated right, there it is. how um, significant this location was in terms of bringing people of different backgrounds together mm -hmm. at a time when um, segregation mm -hmm. was terrorizing the masses. There, that's a good word. And also to um, be a place where you can have the melting pot of culture, so to speak, come together and allow for people to enjoy mm. in place in a, in a in a place and time when they might not have been able to right you know it's a good thing that they didn't move out that Safe. neighborhood because <laughs> yeah you know it's like that saying there goes the neighborhood like you don't want that that's a terrible I, I concept because you don't no one wants a neighborhood to go under no and uh her being there and not moving the restaurant yeah. meant that it you know it did bring the neighborhood up in a sense because yeah. she held her restaurant uh, to a certain standard. Mm -hmm. You know, she yeah. didn't let it go under even after the hurricane. Mm. Uh, she rebuilt it better than ever, it sounds mm -hmm. like. And there was a certain uh, artistic aspect that made it more than just like a restaurant. Yeah. It was an experience. And then it was something where like, I mean, you don't trade your food for art if you don't love <laughs> the community. 
You know, she's like, well, they, they help me. So here's food. You're hungry. <laughs> Imagine going to a place. <laughs> you ever go to Hard Rock in, um, when it was open in, in, uh, in Manhattan and they have all these like, um, you know, is it, it would not be open like, anymore? I don't I think, think it is. Is it? Yeah. All right. Let me do that take again. You ever been to the Hard Rock Cafe in Manhattan where it's, um, uh, oh shoot. It's not Hard Rock. I think it's Discovery. Never mind. You ever been to a restaurant that has just, like, these, like, kind of, um... Kitschy things on the wall? Yeah, where it's where just, like... Where you're like, what is this, this useless is Arnold thing? Schwarzenegger's leather jacket from Terminator 2, and you're like, cool. Like, that's great, but, like, that significance only goes so far as, like, pop culture. And even pop culture is important in terms of history, but, like... It's not as significant as, like, mm. the art that she had displayed on the wall. Especially because she was collecting the art before, like, she was even in a, was able to go to a freaking museum. That sucks. <laughs> like, that's so <laughs> difficult. And I, I, I will, I don't take going to museum, museums for granted, but I certainly oh, will not yeah. after. No. And I think that's a life lesson for all of us Absolutely. to take in. Do not waste your do not waste precious time on not going to a museum right. if you if you get the opportunity and you mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely. Basically, just come to New York City. And, and we got nice mad museums and, everywhere, and and be nice to people. Everywhere. and you know that's that. <laughs> be and nice it, to everyone. Don't ex- make someone's day worse. Expand your culinary horizons, like I did. We did. <laughs> mostly me because i never really ate fish but that's for season four <laughs> i don't know what that laugh was that was weird <laughs> tune in next week <laughs> where we have a live kangaroo i don't know what it's gonna say thank you historians for tuning in again i really hope you guys enjoyed this one i loved researching it in case you can't tell Subscribe, follow, tell everyone you know, even those you don't. Come back this Friday for an interview with sustainable farmer Michelle Fox. In this interview, she shares why food should be looked at as medicine, not poison, ways we can cut back on meat consumption without being vegetarians, and so much more. It's really awesome. You learn a lot. I learned a whole lot of things. I love that this is like a food week. The, mm-hmm. It's a foodie That's why week. I did it our foodie week so you know make sure you've eaten something prior or if you don't if you don't eat something you're gonna be you'll be inspired (laughs) at least to make some 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 fly meals you know what i mean true 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 Mm -hmm. follow us on social media instagram at women of her story podcast tiktok at women of her story yikes twitter at the her story pod (laughs) facebook women of her story and you can always visit our website at ofherstory.com until friday be safe stay healthy and show the world what you're made of bye that's it that's all you're getting this week (laughs) bye no backslash no uh no